As we prepare to hear God's word, let's first pause for a prayer that, that God would open our hearts and our minds to hear what God is saying to us through scripture with a prayer for illumination. Jesus, you are the light of the world in whom there is no darkness at all. And we pray that as we enter your word, that you would be like a light that is shining upon the pages and upon the words that allowed us to see who you are and how you work in our lives. We pray that you would shine your light deep within us so that you might chase away the darkness and bring the wonderful light of your presence. Come Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So before we dive into the scripture passage, I wanted to provide a little bit of word of context about what passage we're jumping into um, and why, and also what's going on in the passage. Because we're jumping into the books of Romans uh, today, like I kind of said in the prayer of confession. So um, when we plan worship here at, at Limwood, we plan it out according to like the seasons or the, thing, the events that are coming up, like Christmas and Easter, and they kind of dictate what kind of readings we have. And since uh, Christmas, we've been following what's called the Narrative Lectionary, which is put out by Luther Seminary. Um, yes, the Lutherans, wonderful, wonderful people, um, and they do good things, and so we, as Reformed people, can learn from them. So that's what we're doing. We're, we're following what they've designed as the Narrative Lectionary, which teaches the story of Scripture in a three-year cycle. Um, and so we've been following it through the book of Matthew, if you can recall all the readings in the past couple Sundays. Um, we've been following that from Christmas, or actually a little bit before Christmas, up, um, you know, following Jesus' birth, his life, and all the ways he showed God's love with his words and actions, and the way that he provided the fullest expression of God's love by laying his life down at the cross and rising. And now in the, in the weeks after Easter, we're in what the church would call Eastertide. Um, it sounds like kind of a fun name, right? Um, and so Eastertide is essentially the time when the church reflects on who Christ is in light of the resurrection. And so we've been following the past couple weeks different passages that help us to understand who the crucified and risen Jesus is for us and for this world. And so the narrative lectionary plops us down into the book of Romans today. And the book of Romans is actually not a book necessarily, it's a letter. And it's a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to this group or to the church of uh, the community of faith in, in Rome around uh, 54 AD. Jesus died in 33, so this is about um, you know, 22 years after Jesus died and rose. So Paul writes this letter, and I want to kind of give some context to this letter before Trevor comes up and reads this. And I want to give it because this letter is pretty thick and dense and weighty. <laughs> and some pastors don't even attempt to preach on this thing until a little bit later in their career. Um, so uh, Romans, I want to, to orient your thinking, because we're jumping into chapter 5. I want to orient your thinking about what comes before this, um, you know, chapter one through four, with this, with this phrase. Hi, Romans. I'm Paul of Tarsus. God created us, 
we divided us, but God fixed us. So, hi Romans, I'm Paul of Tarsus. God created us, we divided us, but God fixed us. But God fixed us. So, hi Romans. So who are these Romans? Uh, so, after Jesus' death, the, the, the Holy Spirit comes, it's the, it's the first apostles and followers of Jesus, and they begin, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to share the, the story of Jesus' life. And the story of Jesus' life with the power of the Holy Spirit helps people to see that Jesus is living and real, real for them, as real for them in their life as Jesus was when he walked the earth. And so this story begins to spread and spread. And it's spreading through that part of the world. And that part of the world was ruled by the Roman Empire. And if you know anything about the Roman Empire, they were an empire that created these, this wonderful series of infrastructure that connected the world at that time. And so people would travel along those roads doing their business and selling goods and traveling to see family. And as people did that, some of those people were Christians who had heard the story about Jesus. And so they traveled that road, and so they went north and east and south, and they also went west to Rome. And so, um, so, so when Paul is writing this letter to the Romans, he's writing it at about 55 AD, 20 years after Jesus' death, right? So somehow that story about Jesus has gotten there and moved people in Rome to really follow Jesus and shape their lives after his teachings. And so Paul is writing to these Romans and the people who are, who are part of that community, um, you'd find out in these first couple chapters, are both Jews um, because at a certain part in the Old Testament, the, the first part of the book of the Bible, Jews were, were kind of dispersed from Jerusalem all over the world when an empire kicked them out. And so they went far and wide, and some of them were settled in um, Rome. Um, it may, might not have been called that at the time, but they were settled there, and so they took up lives and livelihood and, and stayed there. And so when Paul's writing, he's writing to a Jewish people that knew themselves to be the covenant ethnic people of Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who had been rescued from God out of Egypt and who God made a covenant with and was faithful to for years and years and years, up until when God came and walked the earth in Jesus. So that was, that was part of the, the community of faith. But also in that community of faith were, the, were Gentiles, non-Jews. Um, and so these, these people had just heard the story and found Jesus completely amazing and thought they needed to trust him with all their lives. And so so Paul is writing to this very diverse group of people in this community of faith. And why is he writing? Well, in chapter one of Romans, he makes it really clear. So this is, hi Romans, Paul of Tarsus here. Um, he says it in chapter one. He says, um, I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of God. I am longing to see you so that I may share with you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, or rather so that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, mine and yours. And so that 
I might share the gospel among you in order that I may reap some harvest among you as I have among the rest of the Gentiles. So Romans is a very distinctive letter that Paul's writing because all the other letters, so you think about Corinthians and Ephesians and Galatians, all these things. Paul had known these communities before. And typically he's writing to these communities because there's some conflict, you know, like somebody didn't put out the cups for coffee time or somebody's not reading their Bible correctly. And so he needs to correct these things in his letters. And so um, that's what's going on in a lot of Paul's letters. But here, Paul's introducing himself. He's saying, hi, I'm Paul of Tarsus. You might have heard of me, but you have never met me personally. And so what, what Romans is, is an explanation of the gospel according to his understanding. And it unfolds throughout 15 chapters in this letter. And it's significant because there were a lot of people that were coming and, and teaching things in the name, either in Paul's name or just in the name of Jesus, and they weren't correct. And so this is his way of introducing himself to the community and saying, here's what the gospel is. Hi, Romans. Paul of Tarsus. God created us. We divided us. But God fixed us. Okay, so God created us. In the very opening chapters, he hearkens back to this vision of Genesis. And I want you to, I want you to just close your eyes for a second. And trust me, I'll close my eyes too. Because sometimes I don't like it when pastors ask me to do that. But I'll do it as an example. So, so Paul's hearkening back to Genesis. The very first book, the very first words that are spoken in scripture. And God says, let there be light and let there be sky and let there be land and let there be time and let there be stars and moon and sun and let there be living, breathing things and let there be fruit trees and vegetation and let there be humans made in my image it is so beautiful and so good. That's the vision of Genesis, and the vision is how beautifully connected and harmonic this life is, where humans are living face to face and walking with God day by day and caring for creation in the same way that God cares for creation. There's a beauty to this. That's the picture that's painted in the first chapter of Genesis. Everything's connected, and everything is good and beautiful. God created us. And perhaps we see that in our world today. So that's something that Paul is painting in a certain way in Romans, but he moves quickly to say, but we divided us. And we divided us because we were supposed to, we created for this intimate connection with God, to listen to God, but... If you've read that story in Genesis, and you haven't, I encourage you to, it's a story about a tricky, crafty little serpent who invites these humans to trust in words that aren't spoken from God, but from another thing. And that's where the problems start. And that's where the deceit and the hiding and the backbiting and the jealousy finds its way in, which gives rise to to harm and hurt and murder and power conflicts and greed that spreads throughout the world. God created us, but we divided us. 
And about this, Paul says in Romans 3, he says this, there is no one who is righteous, not even one. No one who has understanding and no one who sees God. Everyone's turned aside. We divided us. We divided us. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery are in their paths, and the ways of peace they have not known. We divided us. Hi, Romans. I'm Paul of Tarsus. God created us. We divided us. But God fixed us. But God fixed us. And so what you have in this next movement in Romans is Paul beginning to build the case that in Jesus Christ, God has come to fix us. And not only fix us, but this whole world and mend the brokenness within. And so as we come to chapter five, this is what we come to, is a moment when Paul's beginning to explain the very heart of the gospel. And I pray that we have ears open to hear what God might have to say to us within. I'm going to invite up Trevor, who will read this passage for us. How do I that intro? <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Lynn. I'm Trevor of Gilderland. Uh, today's reading is from Romans 5, chapter, um, chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Let us hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand, and we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us in that while we still were sinners, Christ died for us. Much more surely then, now that we have been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more surely, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life. But more than that, we even boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is the word of the Lord. So we've read the passage and heard it, and Paul can be dense and hard to follow. Right, And I sometimes have to read Paul 17 times to just kind of get the gist of what he's saying. And so, as I was reading, I've read this passage for many years and actually preached on it once, 
And this past week as I was reading it, I actually thought to myself, okay, I need to read the second section first and the first section second. And this will help me, and I think it will help you. Okay, so I want to do this, but, but before I kind of reshape this passage, what I want to do is create or think through a, like a, a courtroom scene, right? Because I think this will help us. So if we perceive like we are the court here, right? Because um, actually churches and town halls were once used synonymously um, in, in small towns. Um, so it kind of has like courtroom feel. But uh, so this is where a defendant would typically stand and prosecution over here and, you know, bailiff over there with the judge here and then the helpful jury. <laughs> Hello. Hello, jury. And, and typically, we know how it goes, you know, the prosecution would be, uh, you know, trying to say this is the law and that's how the defendant broke it. Don't you agree? And over here, the defendant would be representing this um, person, well, the defendant would be the person that'd be like, well, I didn't do it. And then the uh, you know, defense attorney would be like, he didn't do it. And so they would be making their case in American law to, to the jury here. But I wanna, I wanna kind of reimagine this, that this is kind of like the eternal courtroom. <laughs> um, so we, the, the prosecution and everything as we read Old Testament and New Testament wouldn't necessarily be there. It more so be the situation where Say in the Old Testament, there was Satan the accuser. You find this in Job. And Job would be like, well, this person's really not that great, God. And the um, you know, defense wouldn't really have somebody representing them, unfortunately. So it would kind of just be the works of their life um, and in order to like, stand up to the judgments of God and everything. So you kind of get this like, holy courtroom kind of theme here, right? So why I wanted to create this scenario is because in some way, Paul is talking about this line of, line of being justified and right. And when I think about that, I think of courtroom language. Are we right when we are measured by the law? Are we justified to be with those who are right and standing with the righteous? And in some way, when we come in here and we pray the prayer of confession, we have an opportunity to reflect on our lives and maybe the ways in which we've, we've got it wrong or maybe haven't lived up to all the way that God intended us to, and we haven't contributed to healing and wholeness and creating that harmony that was there that God intended in the vision of creation. And in some way, I think about this from my own life, and I've thought about this at times, and I kind of stand over here as a, as a defendant, right? And I, running through my mind, have this list of things that I've done wrong, right? And I know them well, and perhaps you know the things that you might have fallen short on and are feeling guilty of. And if you think about the eternal courtroom, perhaps, and we're over here, and we're looking at the prosecution, the prosecution's like the law, right? The law that God gave Moses, or the laws and the rules that are all throughout Scripture. And... I don't know about you if uh, you've ever tried to be like perfect in obedience to maybe your parents or the rules of law or all these things, but it's hard to be perfect. And I at least have never been perfect. And I don't think we as humans can be perfect when it comes to rule following. There isn't some complete sense of justice that we as humans can create or we can follow. I think that's pretty evident from human history. And when it comes to our relationship with God, I think that we fall short too. But 
what it says in here, in the book of Romans, is this. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. So, by ourselves, we might not be able to stand with those who are right with God, because we couldn't measure up to the law. And Gab might be sitting here, and then like, you know, Michael and Gabriel are over here, and they're snickering, they're like, this guy isn't good, he's gonna get more than 20 to life, for sure. And then God's over here like, stop it, you two, or else I'll make you a Yankees fan, and you a Boston fan, and you'll be suffering that damnation. I don't think God says that, but anyway. So, whether by the, the law of how we measure ourselves according to law in this book or within the guilt that we feel ourselves at times, there's a line in here that really speaks and cuts through, and it says, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. And the reason why I bring this up is because Christ came forward at the right time. God came forward at the right time, wrapped in flesh, and he is one who knows the law, and he is like the prosecution that says, I know that we all fall short, and that everyone is guilty, but I wish to also stand with them. And not only does God and Jesus stand with us, but he says any wrong that they have done I wish to take upon myself and wear myself in my flesh and take with me to the cross. And Christ takes with him to the cross all the things that might condemn us before God. And in his death buries our wrongdoing and casts it further away from us than we could ever know. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a good, righteous person, though perhaps for a good person some might actually dare to die. At your worst, Jesus comes forward for you and loves you deeply. Wherever you find yourself in your deepest, darkest, worst moments, Jesus still finds it worthy of his time to come forward. And in coming forward, he proves his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us, separating our sin far from us and making us right with God. Why do I say this? Because it says, oh, feedback. Much more surely, turn me down a little bit. Getting, getting too excited up here. <laughs> Much more surely, now that we've been justified by his blood. Okay, justified, when, when you see this word justified in Paul, it's a strange and weird word. What does it mean? Well, you think about a courtroom, right? Who is right? Who's on the side of rightness? Who's just? Who's able to stand with those who are right? Think about it in that sense. Those who are justified are just and right and able to stand in God's presence, okay? So by Christ's blood, when he takes our sin from us and separates it, we become part of the just or the justified and the right and the righteous in God's eyes. And so God, as God sits here, looks at you and only sees the rightness and the righteousness and the justness and the justifiedness of Jesus Christ. And that is something that, is, that you are marked by every single day and that cannot be shaken when we trust in Christ. When we trust in Christ, it makes the woeful heart to sing as we sang earlier. 
And so we are right and just and okay to stand in God's presence because of Jesus. But, but more than that, it's not just something that gives us hope for right now, but it's something that gives us hope for always. He continues, much more surely now that we've been justified by his blood, will we be saved from him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled or righted to God through the death of Jesus, his son, much more surely, now that we're right and reconciled, will we be saved by his life? I don't know about you, but uh, I do think about where I'm going and what, what's going to happen next. And oftentimes when I'm t- talking to people who are thinking about the end of their life, they might have some worry or fear about that because of what they've done. And the beauty of what Paul's saying here is that we can have confidence that because God has proved God's love for us and proved that we are just and right and God looks at us in this way like we are Jesus, that even when we come to the end, we should not fear or worry or have a troubled heart because we know beyond reasonable doubt that we will be claimed by God. I don't know if, if you've ever like gone to bed angry at your spouse or your parent and you woke up the next day and you went to work or you went to school and it's still on your mind and things just aren't right and it bothers you and it really stinks, right? And you're just hoping that you can, you can text that person or call that person or make it home to make things right. And maybe we sense that with God sometimes. Maybe we feel that and worry about that, but the promise of this passage is that God has brought us near through Jesus and we are right because of Jesus. And we can have that assurance beyond reasonable doubt. And I, I find this of such great value because of this past week when I learned of Florence Amsler who passed away, one of our own whom we loved and who loved us, who was a wonderful woman who's kind and wonderful and beautiful in so many ways, but she did have a rough life. And I remember going to the hospital and visiting with her and, and, and amidst her struggles and wrestling, she found, she had this deep, spark of light whenever I said, can we pray? Can we read scripture? And what I saw in her was this light that had not gone out and this thing that was holding on to this, this hope and this knowledge that, that God was with her amidst whatever darkness she was facing, that that light would never go out, even if she did pass away. So we read Psalm 27, the Lord's my light and my salvation. And so even in the darkness of death that she was facing, she still saw light. And that she didn't have to fear anything. Paul says, we can boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we've obtained reconciliation. So this passage speaks deeply to us when we're overcome by our wrongdoing or maybe we worry about what's upcoming or if God's really holding us. But more than that, I wanna go back to the beginning and just this is the last part that I'll, I'll touch on because now I make sense of this passage given those things, given the way God's proved is God's love, the way God has shown God's love, the way God holds us It says, therefore, since we are justified by faith, right? Now we know what justified means. We are just and right when we can stand in the presence of God. 
Now we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've obtained access to this grace in which we stand. And so we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. We boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that our suffering produces endurance, and endurance character, and character hope. And hope doesn't disappoint us because God's love has been poured out into our hearts. Paul, I get, I get when Paul says we can, we can boast in the hope of sharing in the glory of God and the goodness of God. But when Paul says we can boast in our sufferings, I don't really understand that in some way. Because how can we when things get really dark and things get really dim and things get really tough and we don't see any way out? And yet, we do follow one who walked the really dark, horrible way to the cross and in whose death there was the spark of life and light and who shows us when we follow him, when we take our yoke upon, him is yoke upon us, thank you, Mandy, uh, for bringing that passage back to light, that even in the darkest times, there is still a light because of Christ. And even if we cannot see the way through, that there is still a way that God can make and that God is holding us. So that even in our sufferings, there can be something of value. And how I want to make sense of this is just by sharing a story, one last story of my own life. Um, when I was moving out here from Michigan, I was super excited, and I was like really excited because I was like, I got this call, they have this education, um, and I think, you know, I like this church, things are gonna work out really well. And in my excitement, I didn't think to think about the fact that I was leaving behind my family and my friends and loved ones and places that really, um, helped me understand who I was and am. And so I, I came out here and super excited to start the job and knew I was called here, but acclimating to Gilderland was really, really difficult. Really, really difficult. You think about a tree that's transplanted, right? It's taken up and it takes time to take root. Um, and I share this with you just to share a story, a, a testimony about this, because we each have sufferings, we each have hardship, we each have a lot going on, and I'm not trying to compare mine is better or worse than yours, because we can't do that, but it's just to share this. And there were, so there were, there were times, you know, after moving out here, where I was so lonely and grieving over losing all those loved ones and being far away, and it was the first experience of real, real, real loss. And I can remember like some nights just like sitting at the dinner table and crying because of how bad I missed people. And, and the way that everything was new and I couldn't go north and south on a straight line. <laughs> <sighs> I once took a 45 minute detour trying to get home from Schenectady, wound up in Clifton Park. <laughs> Talk about suffering. <laughs> uh, but I share that to let you know that like there was darkness, 
And there was a feeling like, did I make the right decision? And was this good? And God, where are you? And how is this gonna get better? And I remember when people would ask me, they would say, how's it going? When I go back to Michigan, I'd be like, Gelderlin is really hard for me to live in. And, and yet I always said, but I wake up each morning and I wanna go to work because there are people in this community that are wonderful and I know I'm called to and who I love even though I don't really know them yet. And so it was amazing, like the darkness that I spoke about, even amidst all that, there was this light of, of Linwood um, that I really felt God was shining through and in. And sometimes I couldn't always see that light burning bright, but it was there. And through this experience, this one experience that is mine, it was suffering, it was longing, but that suffering and holding on to that light and this job and the ways that God was working through me in this, that suffering produces, produced some endurance, an endurance character and character hope. And I'm not the same person that I was when I started here, but now I have this context in my mind of, of God's goodness and how God provides even the littlest spark of light amidst the darkness to help us make it through. And that spark of light can be something we hold on to. It's, it's the hope that God continues to pour into our hearts daily so that we can see how we get through the trials and the, tri and the suffering and the things that we go through. And I just encourage you when you're going through something that sometimes we can't see the spark always and it takes time, but that this, that we can be a community that supports one another until we can see that. And until we can articulate that God has poured out love and hope into our hearts and so we can make it through the suffering and be transformed. And so that through that transformation of that process, what can happen is we can begin to share and boast like prideful parents who beam with pride when their, their kids do something. Faces light up. And so that when we take note of what God has done and what God can do and who God is and how God has proven his love, we can boast and this light of our countenance and how we light up can be the spark of light that others see that can shine light into their lives. The light of Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, you are good to us and we are grateful for all that you have done. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would continue to pour into our hearts daily so that we would trust your words even when um, it's hard to and even in the dark times. And I pray that um, your Holy Spirit would guide us day by day, not only as individuals but as a community of faith to be there for each other and to walk humbly in the light of your presence. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.